Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 29th of December 2010. Newcomers to the show look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. You'll find hundreds of audios for download where I try and give you shortcuts to the big picture and to give you a better painting of the real reality, not the fake one that we're all born into, which is reinforced by education and the media. So have yourself to the audios, and remember they all carry, all those, all those sites you see listed on the com page all have the same audios for download. If you find sticking on the com, try an alternate site there, because sometimes so many folk go into the com site at once um, that it's heavy on the downloading side of it. They all carry transcripts as well of a lot of the talks I've given in English, and for transcripts in other languages, go into Alan AlanWattSentinel.eu, which you'll also see listed on the com site. These are all the official sites I have. And remember, too, that you're the audience who bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers to sell you things. The ads you hear on this show are paid by advertisers to RBN to broadcast this show and to pay for the equipment, their staff, and their bills, which I'm sure are pretty humongous, as they say. So help me out with mine. And you can do so by donating to me. You'll find out the, how to do it on the com site. You can also purchase the books and discs and so on I have for sale. And hopefully I can go on for a little, little while longer. If, if not, I'll go off and do other things and teach private groups and so on and actually earn some money for a change. But it's up to you. Uh, everyone wants things for free these days. Everyone copies whatever I put out there. Uh, very few people ever mention where they get information from. If any, in fact, and uh, that's their business, of course. That is the, the, the society we live in today. So uh, go to the com site, see the books and so on. From the U.S. to Canada, you can order them by using a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. Some people just send cash. Um, PayPal to order. Just use a donation button and follow it up by an email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. There is also Western Union, which is a direct wire transfer. There's a, a cheaper method still, which is MoneyGram, uh, which you can post over, in fact, and wait a week if you've got patience to do so, and uh, it saves you cash. And some people just send the cash itself. That's all up to you. But as I say, it's up to you if you want to keep me going or not, because, you see, uh, eventually when... People go off the air, you're, you're left with fewer and fewer people to give you uh, their view of reality, and then things are easier to manage for even for those who control the world state, because most of the articles they put out there are meant to be parted off by the general public. We're supposed to go, oh my God, what are they going to do to us now, as if we don't know, and nothing's ever done about it. That's the whole problem with all of this. There's no organized movement, no organized movement with a direct philosophy to guide a movement to fight these um, bar stewards who are controlling the world and guiding us all along. 
not difficult to do when you've got an organization that's been in control of the world for centuries with its cash system. Every government goes cap in hand every year to borrow from them, and everything runs on their money. Wars, everything runs on their cash. And then they go and sell off and trade the debt amongst themselves, these IOUs. It's a fantastic business, but until it's changed, nothing could possibly change the direction of the world. And it has been planned. We're going through a script. Uh, your parents went through a script. Your grandparents went through a script. These guys have been at this for a long time, knowing exactly where they were taking the entire planet. And, of course, they own academia. Academia is completely on board with them and everything that's, do- that's happening today. I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, trying to give a better uh, idea and view of reality than what's currently going around, because, uh, as I say, there's organizations that work together to create your reality, they they own your media, they give you your movies that you just gorge one after another, and they give you predictive programming, preparing you for the future they're bringing in for you. They're the guys who decide what technology you'll have, because it's going to benefit those who control you, of course, not for your pleasure. In fact, they don't like you very much at all. You're necessary, and you've always been necessary as a herd, because you've kept a lot of people at the top living in luxury for an awful, awful long time. And it's true enough that all true wealth comes from labor. And these guys at the top don't do any labor. In fact, it's anathema to them to do any manual work at all. The top guys don't even really run things. Technically, this makes sure everyone's working okay. They suggest things here and there, and those suggestions are picked up by the guys that hover around them and immediately put into effect, and they're done very, very efficiently, or heads roll. And that's the way the world really, really runs. And most folk at the bottom can never relate to these folk at the top and it's no wonder because they live in a completely different realm of reality than you'll ever understand. They've been brought up in it. They've been given access to true archives of histories and techniques of control and so on. And, um, and that's been admitted too. There are actual archives that certain ones are allowed into, but very, very, very few. And not everyone's allowed into the big club at the top, even the ones from royalty and so on. They're tested for their gullibility, for their ability to be emotional, to blab things off with a few drinks in them, or even over the telephone that they're tapped, etc., to make sure long before they're brought up into the higher realms of reality themselves. And that's how you run the world. Quite simple, really. And, of course, uh, we live in the bottom reality, the one that the television gives us and the one that your educational system gave you, too, with all its fake histories, because... Histories are completely faked. Uh, that came up from uh, the Anglo-American establishment by Professor Carol Quigley when he, he, he actually gives you and he cites the, the records of the British Parliament when even Winston Churchill, who thought he was up in the big no, realized there was a group higher up than him that left him out of the loop. And he said it's incredible that a group of men can, be, can have been writing our histories for the school children to learn for over 70 years. And that was back in World War II. 
And that ties in, too, with his other book, um, Tragedy and Hope, where he says, yeah, a secretive group have been running the country and giving your presidents and prime ministers since the late 1800s. Very, very rich, powerful people who didn't just get rich quick either, by the way. They belong to organizations that have been very, very old indeed. Now, what I'm going to read tonight ties in again with what I was talking about last night to show you that we're going through a script. I've already given you the projections for the next 50 years or so from the think tanks that, that work for the military of the U.S. and from for Britain and NATO, and they all agree with the same items, the timetables, depopulation, and um, the, the elimination of nations, uh, and then the rise of, of uh, a few, a few very powerful high-tech super city-states for the future, where the rich men in the world, of course, will be in control as, as the rest of the, the world goes down the tubes. They won't need you anymore, you see. We've been an awfully productive herd until now, and uh, at the time for big trading in a time and big working in factories in a time of uh, austerity, as they call it, and post-consumerism is to be over. And they believe that technology, etc., will take over from humanity as such. They will clone workers, uh, more efficient types. I've gone through some of that, too, from their own writings in the past. Just go through the archives at cuttingthroughthematrix.com to find out the various things I've, I've, uh, I've read from their own books. Now, this ties in again with, with what also NATO think tanks and the, the U.S. military think tanks talked about, and that would be the, the, basically the corruption that would obviously happen at this time that we're living through. But it's corruption run by the same boys who own the legal system. In other words, the legal overview of reality, the world as such. They already own that. They owned that a long time ago, in fact. They bought off the resources and bought them up through wars and grabbing the land and the gold and silver and all the minerals and everything else they needed a long time ago using empires. And they funded those empires into existence. When they moved out, which they did, they'd move into the next country that was going to get built up into an empire. And they hopped scotch down through history doing the same old thing. Now, here's an article here, and it's called uh, Europol Arrests More Than 100 in Carbon Trading Fraud. Now, I touched on that a couple of days ago or so. But it says here, estimated 5 billion euros in damage for European taxpayers. In other words, it means that the taxpayers have to always make good on the criminals who are robbing us all, you see, and playing these con games with this fake CO2 taxation, which their own boys like Al Gore dreamed up and Lord Rothschild because all the, ta- all the CO2 money taxes for the world is to go through the Rothschild private bank in Switzerland, you see. So it says, here's more proof that the trading of CO2 emissions certificates is fraught with fraud and attracts seedy criminal organizations. They're not so seedy, believe you me. Uh, they're more like the old James Bond movies. James Bond movies wasn't really in so much into Russia when it was the Soviet Union or China, uh, the communist organizations. It was always about groups of rich, powerful people that, that, that really were the biggest threat on the planet. But it says it's all costing consumers and taxpayers billions because we make good on all the money that's stolen, even though we should be, anybody should be paying it in the first place because it's such a con. It says the Austrian, the Austrian online Klein Zitung here reports that Europe, um, Europol, which I guess a private police force, by the way, owned by the Rothschilds, so I'm sure they'll admit the ones that won't catch the ones they don't want to catch, meaning their own guys, have read an elaborate CO2 emissions scam in Italy and have arrested more than 100 persons 
the Climate Tongue writes, the damage runs in the billions of euros. According to Europol, the Italian tax authorities, directed by the Milan Prosecutor's Office, have raided 150 companies in Italy. The fraud involves evasion of value-added tax with CO2 emission certificates. They're actually scamming it and claiming the taxes, selling them on and getting the taxes all for free and pocketing it. More than 100 have been arrested and are suspected of being involved in organized crime. What they do is eliminate the competition. That's why Rothschild's boys, Europol, is on the job here. The Kleiner Zetang reports that the Italian electrics utilities trading markets had earlier suspended entire trading with emission certificates because a high number of suspicious transactions had occurred. The loss in tax revenue just from value-added tax, which have all to go on, by the way. They've got it in Canada called the GST, and uh, it's the same thing. It will be eventually introduced into the U.S. for the global society. That's on the books, has been in the books for 50 years. It must be that way. It says the fraud is widespread. A contrary report has been known since June of last year that criminal organizations have been using CO2 emissions trading for defrauding governments of value-added tax. Now, mind you, the EU super government handed out all these free carbon credits to get them to start trading in the first place to these big international corporations. It says this is not the first time that police raids of this scale have taken place. It's the latest in a series of raids that have been carried out all over the Europe this year, all involving the, Euro- the trading of CO2 emission certificates. It seems the authorities just can't keep up with the swindlers out there. It's a, it's a joke because it's the EU that hands out the credits for them to sell. So anyway, because all the countries that have had trouble with this group, which they, they are trying to identify, it says, the network of criminals behind the massive fraud, a fraud with links to criminal networks operating outside the EU and in other continents like the Middle East, and that's obvious to everyone who we're talking about the Middle East. And you jump from there, and then you go into this one here. Uh, Rothschild linked to take over, to take over at Yukos. It's from the Evening Standard, London. Russian tycoon Michael Khodorkovsky, under threat of arrest as a result of widening probe into the country's flagship oil major Yukos, has named Lord Jacob Rothschild as a possible successor at the helm of the company. The fraud and tax investigations could draw on a tranche of top Yukos uh, executives, and in these circumstances the group would approach the London banker, a company official told Russia's Commerçant uh, newspaper. Lord Rothschild, who's 66, has a host of high-profile international corporate, political and banking contacts in keeping with his position as a member of the influential Rothschild banking dynasty. The obvious successor to Kozartikovsky would be the group's chief financial uh, financier Platon Lebedev, but he's in jail facing fraud charges. While refusing to comment on any potential role for him at Yukos, Lord Rothschild defended the old Baron. Khodorkovsky is a progressive, is progressive businessman. You see, if you de- defraud folk, you're progressive. Who is devoted to Russia, that's a joke. His office is quoted as saying, the spokesman said Lord Rothschild had no business relationship with, with Menatop or Menatep a Khodorkovsky company that owns 61% of Yukos. Lord Rothschild stole heads Jai Rothschild Capital Management, the fund management business he set up nearly 20 years ago. That business is now part of the larger St. James Place Capital Wealth Management Group, chaired by Sir Mark Weinberg, a long-term friend and a business associate. Then it says he's also co-founder with former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, of Khodorkovsky's Yukos-financed Open Russia Foundation, established in December 2001, to develop relations between Russia and the West. 
In March last year, Kurokovsky appointed British uh, Foreign Secretary Lord David Owen as chairman of UCOS International UK and London. They're all tied in it together. It says Lord Rothschild split from his cousin Sir Evelyn de Rothschild, chairman of English investment bank NM Rothschild, to set up his own investment bank, Jai Rothschild Assurance, in the 1980s. He still runs it from the basement of a house in St. James. I guess he can't afford a big house to put it in, so it's just in his little basement, which is probably the size of a palace. He quickly made a name for himself. You know, these guys rise to riches. It's just amazing. It's always astounding me. Joining forces with the late Sir James Goldsmith and Australia's Kerry Packer for an assault on bat industries via Anglo leasing, one of a number of holdings and financial services companies. And they, I tell you, they go through all kinds of weird countries uh, and lose all the cash behind them. No one can investigate what they're up to. And they've always done this because, you see, they own the countries. But back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and uh, this actual charge against uh, the Russian tycoon, uh, Khodorkovsky, has gone back to 2003, and that's how long they can stall things too, right up to the present. This is article here is from the BBC News, Russian tycoon named successor, Russian oil tycoon Michael Khodorkovsky, and he's named Jacob Rothschild as a possible successor to take over his Yukos oil company if he goes to prison. Now it says here, the Rothschilds have financed oil exploration in Russia since the Tsarist period, while Lord Rothschild has close connections with Yukos. In other words, it went right through the communist period as well. Since the Tsarist period also means all through the communist period, uh, because you see, they ran both sides of it, these characters. And um, they always profited too of all the chaos. And they up the price of oil when they want to and just, you know. And then they love this whole thing about failing oil and just losing, but it's not enough oil and jacking up the prices. Because as I say, you're the herd and you must keep these guys in a very powerful position so that they can get the next part of their agenda through. And they literally have the world marked out in order and how they'd like to take us all and how they are taking us all. And they pat themselves in the back at their big think tank meetings, which they publish of how well the world is progressing into communitarianism and internationalism and where private corporations run the world and not governments anymore. And that's really the way that it truly is. Now, when you go into the Anglo-American establishment by Professor Carl Quigley, he, in the footnotes at the back, he goes into how this particular foundation, this organization, we'll call it, um, rechanged its name again because it had been operating for a long time before this. But um, Cecil Rhodes comes into mind, of course, when they popped up again with the next part of their course, which was to take over the wealth of the world, all the natural resources. That was food and everything, minerals, diamonds, oil, food, and eventually water, you see, uh, and the 1800s. And they used what they had created already, which was the British Empire, to do so. And this is what uh, Quigley says here, and it's taken from the writings of uh, T. Stead, W. T. Stead, who was one of the big members of it, 
and it was the last will and testament of Cecil John Rhodes. Now, he left his will to Lord Rothschild, by the way, who was co-founder with him in this enterprise. This is a statement of 1896 to Brett, is in journals and letters of Reginald Viscount Escher, that was Lord Escher, um, volumes 4, London, 1934 to 1938, pages 197. And it says this, Dr. Uh, Adelette quotes at from a letter which Rhodes sent to Stead in 1891, but he does not quote the statements which Stead made about it when he published it in 1902. In this letter, he spoke about the project of federal union with the United States and said, because they were, they were definitely planning on that, you see, and said the only feasible way to carry out this idea is a secret one, a society, gradually absorbing the wealth of all the world to be devoted to such an object. At the end of this document, Stead wrote, Mr. Rhodes has never, to my knowledge, said a word, nor has he ever written a syllable that justifies the suggestion that he surrendered the aspirations which were expressed in this letter of 1891. So far from this being the case, in the long discussions which took place between us in the last years of his life, he reaffirmed as emphatically as at first his unshakable conviction as to the dream, if you like to call it so, a vision which has ever been the guiding star of his life. And it says, C.W.T. Stead, The Last Will and Testament of Cecil, John Rhodes, London, 1902, pages 73 to 77. It's a well-documented book, this one, uh, The Anglo-American Establishment. And then, of course, Carol Quigley was a historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. In this book, he says that Winston Churchill didn't even know the name of it at the time of this particular organization because it used different names, the Milner Group, the Rhodes Society, the Round Table Society, and, of course, it all came together, eventually called the Royal Institute of International Affairs and is called the Council on Foreign Relations in other countries. And every member of the top, uh, I call it the Politburo of the EU Parliament now, is a member of this uh, society. And uh, everyone who has been a prime minister or a president, as I've said before, since the late 1800s, has been a member. That's also in Quigley's book here. And so you've got to read that one if you want to know what's really happening. These are the guys, and Quigley talks about it, who planned world wars and brought them to being. Not only did they bring on the Boer War to take over South Africa and its minerals and its gold and diamonds and so on, it also it was agitating at the same time in the late 1800s to wipe out what they saw as a possible future empire of Germany. And so they agitated to get a, a war going with Germany for a world war and out of the World War, they brought in and they financed the League of Nations, which became the United Nations. And when they didn't get all the powers they wanted, they were all for a World War II. So that, these are the sort of guys who run the world, the very, very rich men of the world, and nothing has been there to ever stop them in the past, and there's nothing there to stop them today, because no one has come up with an alternative to their money system. Or put it this way, no one's been allowed to come out with an alternative and put it and implement it uh, to their uh, money system, or they'd lose all power. It's all done with uh, lending and, and governments owing them, and then they mark it down on the heads of the taxpayers, the slaves. Now, I've gone into two, uh, Jack Attali, and he's a big player in this as well. I'll go back into his writings when I come back from this break.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix. Just doing a, a few books here, doing a few books and showing you how the things connect together. And Jack Satali at one time was the top guy in France. The guy number one is never the boss, it's the top advisor is the boss. He, they can get any puppet for the front man when uh, Mitterrand was there. And uh, people came to see Atali more than Mitterrand. He knew who was running the ship of state, you might say. And he eventually went off to the United Nations. He's been involved in the same scams as well. He's up in some arms smuggling charges along with a, a bunch of very rich men. Nothing will happen with it because they never get charged at the top. Because the little war started here and there. Because at the moment, remember, the big money is in the takeover or of, 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 as, of, as I say, with, uh, with the, the Rothschild group of all its resources of the world. And the big money of the future is water as they will eventually dish it out drop by drop and make you pay an incredible price for it. And food, of course, too, as they bring on the food shortages. But this particular book is called The Brief History of the Future, and it's, got a, it's headed off by Henry Kissinger, of course, and who calls it brilliant and provocative. And Jack Satali sits in all the world meetings. He also sits at the clubs of the super rich, because he's one of them, and he's in on the know. And so he tells you here, a super empire, this is infra, uh, infra nomads, he calls it, victims of super empire. And this is the world they're bringing on within the next few years, uh, very, very few years. He says, super empire will in fact raise the market and triumph on a global scale, but it will not bring about the disappearance of poverty, which will afflict a disconcerting share of the planet's population. You see, now is a time when they're going to turn their, after building up a massive welfare population, they're, they're going to turn their fingers and say, oh, look at the mess of all that, my God. And this was all planned as well, for those who don't know. Uh, there's a, a site where a professor uh, has done writings. He's a eugenicist. He taught at many universities in the United States. And uh, it's, it's called whatwemaybe.org. He'll go into that and you'll find out what they're going to do with all those useless eaters. And that's what basically he's uh, referring them to, uh, or as. All those on welfare, the single mums, the, the low IQ ones that keep getting married and so on and producing more, he claims, have to be eliminated. Anyway, back to this book here. In 2015, the number of those I call infra nomads who live before the poverty threshold, in other words, on less than $1.25 a day, will still be roughly a billion as against $1.4 billion in 2006 and $1. billion in 1980, going backwards. Increasing yet, yes, but not enough. Weakened states will no longer be able to finance decent assistance incomes. And that's what we're getting told now, cutbacks, austerity, right? This guy is amazing, having been sitting in all these world meetings where they, they, they go along with the, the plan that was written long ago and uh, patting each other on the backs for being right on schedule with everything. Attempts to reduce the number of the poorest through the working of market forces alone will end in failure. Growth will not supply enough jobs, uh, as you've seen in America, of course, they knew this. Uh, production of specific goods intended for the, this category will not suffice to give it access to basic goods. On its own, the market will be unable to equip the uh, megalopolises, he says, with the infrastructures made necessary by the increased numbers of the citizenry. Uh, 
In other words, see, they've deindustrialized all of you, and they knew when they signed the World Trade Organization and the GATT Treaty uh, that eventually you can only paddle in the water in a service economy for so long before you start to lose strength and drown. It says, from then on, infra-nomads will be more and more vulnerable to epidemics, to lack of water, because of course they're taking it all over, to desertification, to climate warming. Of course, that's a big part of it, is this joke with climate warming. But they'll use it until they get the last drop of water under their greedy little grubby hands. More and more, uh, they will be forced to move from countryside to cities. Well, that's Agenda 21, which Mr. Talley sat in on, so he knows darn well what it's all about. It says, then from city to city to flee in, in, in indigence and drought, to look for a job and a roof. They will be increasingly available for every kind of revolt and will feed the pirate economy. Uh, they will also be the chief targets for vendors of utopias, all those who promise you utopias, and will become leading players and the first victims of hyper-conflict if it takes place. Now, yesterday I read another article, too, from an official source where they talked about cramming us all into cities would... Um, Bring all kind of deviant behavior, etc., etc., and discontent, because we're not meant to live all, live all crammed together. But the big boys want their lovely um, countryside all to themselves for the future, you see. It says, but they will also be the principal stakes and the great victors of hyper-democracy if it ever materializes. Meanwhile, and this is the worst defeat, no one will be able to organize the governance of super-empire anymore. The market will be a golem, that's the, it's actually a Hebrew word meaning artificial slave, without a brain, a plane without a pilot. The governance of super empire. It says this victory of market over democracy, we're post-democratic now we're told by the Club of Rome, will create an utterly novel situation, a market without a state. That's what you've got now. All the theoreticians recognize that such markets give rise to the appearance of cartels. Well, that's all your con men and uh, the gangsters. Uh, under uses pro- uh, productive forces, encourages financial speculation. That's where you get bubbles and they crash you when they want to. Fosters joblessness, uh, wastes natural resources, liberates the criminal economy, and empowers pirates. Well, that's what we have, and I've been reading about them. Such was the fate in particular of China in 1912, of Somalia in 1990, of Afghanistan in 2002, of Iraq in 2006. Such will be the fate of super-empire. States are what remains. And they're all run now, you see, by private corporations, including the troops that they hire, or mercenaries. States are what remains of them around the year 2050 will no longer be viewed as anything but the successors of businesses. Because, you see, that's what your corporate uh, world and your corporate country is. It's a business, you see, and you're all workers in the big business. No one will uh, any longer be capable of guaranteeing equality of treatment of citizens, and that's what we're getting told now. And the cops are going around with impunity killing folk when they want to. Impartial elections or freedom of information, well, they're cramming down on that now. The market itself will not be satisfied with this situation. Whatever it has taken up residence or wherever it has taken up residence, it has always needed a strong state to exist. On the global scale, it will need respect for a few rules so that dishonest players, that's the guys who share the loot that they steal from you, um, uh, can, can have the whole field to themselves as opposed to the little guys who come in and only steal a few billions. That's why Europol is crushing them at the moment. So that dishonest players will not uh, distort competition, 
so that the arms of war do not displace the laws of training, so that the property of law is not infringed. Now, it's, it's corporate law. So the consumers will remain solvent, and so that violence may be socially mastered. Now, how will they socially master violence? Well, I, mean, I mentioned it yesterday, drugs will be a key factor, and the needle, as Bertrand Russell said too, and so on, will make a nice docile population, and spraying you from the air with all that mush. Insurance and distraction uh, businesses, the mar- distraction businesses, of course, uh, is also your entertainment. The market's principal strengths will try to play these roles. They will produce norms, allowing everyone to take his place in the super empire and offer shows, making it possible to escape it. To succeed in this, they will have to lean on specialist corporate organizations offering a kind of self-proclaimed governance. And that's what we're hearing today. There's no more governments. It's governance. That's through all the books of the CFR, all the writings, all through the United Nations, as it was intended to do when they set up the League of Nations in World War I. Banks and financial institutions will endow themselves, as they are already doing so, with global prudential bodies. Then that's what you saw at Cancun. These are all private organizations. These organized monthly meetings of the presidents of the world's leading central banks in Basel. Uh, this committee has already de- decreed under the names Basel I and Basel II applicable accounting and financial rules without the prior acquiescence of any global law. So they make up the laws that go along to every bank on the planet. I mean, have you ever been asked what your opinion is and would you vote for this or that? Of course not. Such a coordinating body uh, of all central banks will one day attempt on its own authority to fix a stable parity amongst all the world's major currencies. Well, that's what they did, you see, with the currencies of, of Britain and other countries as they tried to merge it together. If you notice, the dollar of Canada and the U.S. has been quite the same for years now, just a cent or two difference. Uh, then it will be create a global quasi-currency in an attempt to counter private currencies. It's all to be one currency eventually, of course, for the global system. Other organizations will define rules for checking on the origins of capital in order to combat the pirate economy. Initially, public and later private ones, uh, these bodies will complete. Uh, and see, the public finance it up, you see. It says, and later private, and then they turn over the private bodies. These bodies will complete and then replace police action by turning to mercenaries while we were already there. Very many other professions, accountants, lawyers, advertising personnel, information specialists, doctors, pharmacists, architects, teachers, engineers, themselves hard-pressed by the insurance companies, will decree normals. They will create special organizations uh, financed by quasi-taxes to monitor their members and avoid scandals. To do so, they will use all the technologies of hyper-surveillance. That's what we are under now. You see, we're already here. Do you understand that? Uh, Do you think Google's just a private company? A private company that can work with the NSA? Is it the boss of the NSA? Other institutions of governance of the same kind will emerge on the national or continental scale, particularly in the fields of energy, telecommunications, health, and education. Finally, impartial agencies will establish norms for financial, social, ecological, and ethical orthodoxy. It's a whole new culture. They will influence the behavior of businesses and states anxious to present a clean image to the markets. In the environmental field in particular, the insurance companies will insist that businesses comply with the norms decreed by such agencies in order to reduce climatic 
disturbances and the damage caused by natural disasters that might follow in their wake. Governance will thus become itself become a particularly profitable sector. It already is. Because it's all private businesses, governance, governing you. With, of course, the, the front philanthropists with their charitable NGOs uh, on board with the government, telling governments what to do. So, it'll be a very profitable sector. Businesses will specialize in it in order to support the insurance companies that gave birth to them. They will, uh, they will little by little take over from national regulators at the planetary level. The ones who carry the day will be those able to acquire private police forces to palliate the weakness of armies and the public police and to verify application of norms and truthfulness. Uh, governance companies will also disappear, uh, supplying businesses with competent members for their administrative boards. These surveillance organisms will first be dominated by the American empire. ICANN, of course, that's I-C-A-A-N, which today runs the Internet. It's, again, a charitable charitable organization uh, which has all your Internet names. You have to go through them to get your Internet name. And it can, can close you down as well, by the way. But it's a charitable, philanthropic organization that just sprung out of nowhere with these very rich guys behind it. Eh? constitutes a good example of a self-proclaimed international authority, but in fact a mask for the American government. These organizations will extend American law to the rest of the world before uh, re- uh, creating their own. It's not American law anyway, because Americans haven't had their own law society for an awful long time. It's run by a, a power above them. Regulators and insurance will thus be the fragile masters of the governance of super-empire. They will encounter competition and threats paid for by criminal organizations that will try to eliminate them, as well as threats from other relational bodies, which they themselves will try to eliminate. So that's pretty well here, and he's going, he's going into some of this from 2015 uh, onwards up to 2050. Uh, a lot of, all of this pretty well will be done. It's, well, a lot of it's already done, but you'll see it more in force in the next couple of years or so. And so, as I say, we're pretty well there for folk who still think that they have countries of their own, even though their countries are always signing international deals, and you're paying for roads to be built all over the planet. You're paying for hospitals to be built in China. Even though China is one of the richest countries on the planet right now, the sole class is a third world nation, thanks to the agreement that was signed through the World Trade Organization, and we can finance their schools and their hospitals and all that kind of stuff as we go down the tubes, you see. And that's how the world is really, really run right now, for those who are not sure. But most folk don't know us because there's so much entertainment there, and there's so much going on in Hollywood and the starlets' lives that apparently everyone is just utterly fascinated by it. And there's so much movies and music television and the fashion industry and lots and lots of sex like never before to keep everyone quite happy and distracted as they lose the shirts off their backs. They just don't know it yet. And that's how you fight a war, a true war. First you must conquer the mind. And then you do whatever you want. They won't notice with no mind of their own. That has already happened. Tying in with this, we have the incredible army of guys leaving the Pentagon going right into the private sector for these big international corporations. 
And this article here is from the Boston Globe. From the Pentagon to the private sector, in large numbers and with few rules, and there's few rules in this new global society, retiring generals are taking lucrative defense firm jobs for private corporations. It says here, an hour after the official ceremony marking the end of his 35-year career in the Air Force, General Gregory Speedy Martin returned to his quarter to swap his dressed uniform for golf attire. He was ready for his first tea time as a retired four-star general. But almost as soon as he closed the door that day in 2005, his phone rang. It was an executive, Northrop Grunman, asking him if he wanted. He was interested in working for the manufacturer of the B-2 stealth bomber as a paid consultant. A few weeks later, Martin received another call. This time it was from the Pentagon asking him to join a top-secret Air Force panel studying the future of stealth aircraft technology. A lot of them also are working for the United Nations through non-governmental organizations. And some Canadian generals are already on that fight. But it says, um, Martin was understandably in demand, having been the general in charge of all Air Force weapons programs, including the B-2 for the previous four years. He has said yes to both offers. In almost any other realm, it would seem a clear conflict of interest, pitting his duty to the U.S. military against the interests of his employer, not to mention a revolving door sprint from the, un- uh, from the uniform responsibilities to private paid advocacy. Now, when you're in private paid advocacy, you understand you're up for a hire across the planet to whatever big international corporation demands you. It says, but this is the Pentagon where a Globe review has found such apparent conflicts are a routine, a routine fact of life at the lucrative nexus between the defense procurement system, which spends hundreds of billions of dollars a year, and the industry that feasts on those riches, and almost nothing is ever done about it. The Globe analyzed the career paths of 750 of the highest-ranking generals and admirals who retired during the last two decades and found that for most, moving that way is basically what it's all about. It's irresistible. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. I'll also just mention one last article. Nicholas Sarkozy, he's got his own private army to go after anyone who's downloading illegal downloads from the Internet, his own private army. We're in private enterprise now and governance and all that. And since you have Interpol, which is private, now you have the own Internet police. And these philanthropists just have so much in common with each other. They want to help humanity so much that decide to police the planet for themselves. And this Daniel from the UK, I'll try and squeeze him in there. Are you there, Daniel? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can, yeah. Yeah, okay. Just a couple of quick questions. Um, what's your opinion of that book by Dr. John Coleman, Conspirators Hierarchy, Committee 300? Um, he, he is right on some things, um, and he's wrong on a lot of other things, too. So uh, that's the most I can say about it. Uh, he, he understands that there is a group, definitely, and a hierarchy to the group. But that's no secret, as I say. It's far more detailed than Professor Carl Quigley's book because he was the historian for this group. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. And also, um, what, what's stopping these, these big groups from actually fighting amongst themselves? Um, because they, they all understand that they, they do have um, their own private police force for themselves. 
and they understand the rules. They understand the rules are, are very severe and the penalties are very severe if you step out. And once in a while, one of them is hung or found hanging in the toilets like one of the Rothschilds was once and uh, stuff like that if they happen to hold out yeah, on the rest. Yeah. So it does happen then. It just I'd never realised, but it does happen. It happens once in a while, very, very rarely, though, because they have a saying that the workman deserves his wages. It's all kind of Masonic, too, based, and uh, you must pay off the guy who helped you up to the position you're in, and you must kick money upstairs. Right, it's a mafia. Like you say, it's a mafia. So yeah, isn't it? absolutely, yeah. I just wanted to let you know of a very interesting article you might not be aware of that come out today. It's uh, from Reuters, and um, it's titled... Britain's urge to give charity via ATMs. Have you seen it? That's right. I've got it right here on my, on my desktop, and um, and you're, you're quite right. Now they said that about ten years ago. Read an article about that, and here here it comes in. And the charity, of course, are their charities to teach you all to be charitable uh, and give to these big foundations that are already raking in billions of bucks because they're owned by the bankers. <laughs> they're all fronts for the bankers. Well, yeah, I mean, what was of interest to me, Alan, was more. The, the emphasis on volunteering, I yes, that was very significant because yeah. it conjures up these ideas of um, of you hearing a siren in the street and everybody yeah. jumps up and puts their uniform on and then runs out to the assembly point to get their orders. Do you know what I mean? That, that's uh, communitarianism in America. They have it under Homeland Security. There's a lot of private organizations now in Homeland Security and yet you are supposed to jump up and help out. You're, you're giving your orders it's just communitarianism and volunteerism. That's the system they're bringing in for you. And uh, as you're broken down into your new little areas, as your country goes down, you'll just have little areas you belong to, and you won't be able to live and move out of those areas either. You're stuck in a commune, and that's why they want cars and vehicles off the road. You won't have to drive under Agenda 21. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's incredible. They actually tell you everything. They, they, it's almost... It's, I always liken it to um, a, a hunter giving its prey a sporting chance. Do you see what I mean? Well, what it is, it's predictive programming, getting you ready for it. And it, it overwhelms you because you don't get an answer to fight it, you see. But thanks for calling in. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>